Welcome to season six of Paper Talk, where we talk about tips and tricks on navigating and building your small creative business. I'm Quinn Wynn of Pinga Mosey. I'm Jesse Chu of Crafted to Bloom. And I'm Sarah Kim of Handmade by Sarah Kim. In season six, we'll be sharing our experiences and insights on running a small creative business from managing finances to building your brand. We'll also be interviewing other small business owners and experts in the field to get their perspectives and advice. So join us as we dive into the world of small creative businesses and help you take it to the next level. Hello, hello. Guess who we have? We have Jesse and Sarah and myself. And today I want to talk to Jesse and talk about how we deviated from our journey path from creating a lots of different arts for wedding and events to actually creating pieces for ourselves that we actually get to showcase to the public. So Jesse, we miss you. Welcome back. Hi, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I miss you guys too. And chat with you guys. You guys are always so welcoming. And uh, I think we've already chatted for half an hour. That's all right. I'm <laughs> Catch up. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, let me <laughs> tell you a little bit about my deviation. I think... Let me just think. Last season, we talked about it a little bit, mm -hmm. how Quinn and I were re-examining re our path and our business and where we wanted to go from there. And at that point, I had made the decision that I wanted to exhibit my work. I wanted to do a series on my work. And it was an internal need, I think, for myself. Like you said, creating art for myself and to share it. I think ultimately as artists, that's what we want to do. We want to share our art. And whether it's because we want to share our inner, most inner thoughts, our secrets through yeah. art, or we just want to talk about it with other people. It's really nice to talk about art with other people who understand <laughs> you and appreciate the work that you put into it. So that's when I decided to shift my branding a bit. So I had started with Crafted to Bloom. And when we, when I started Crafted to Bloom, I think at the time, a lot of people had alternate egos right? It wasn't just me. And I was also nervous about using my own name at the time. It was my <laughs> first time on social media. I didn't want to use my own name, right? So I was like, okay, my alter ego can be crafted to bloom. But then the time when I decided, wait, to exhibit my work, I'm not crafted to bloom. I'm Jesse Chu. I realized it was also important to get my actual name out there. Yeah. So that's when I decided to, to have two websites. So to market myself as Jesse Chew for work that I make for people, work that I make for myself and exhibit. And then Crafted to Bloom would be my brand for my education part of my business mm -hmm. where I can teach people made sense. You're crafting something for it to bloom. And so that's how I ended up dividing my business into two. And so now I have two websites, one that I direct people who want to buy my art to, which is jessichu.com. And then those who want to learn from me go to Craft It to Bloom. So that's essentially where I finally owned up to my own name. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Right? Because not being used to using your own name is, it can be, you're putting yourself out there. 100%. You really are putting yourself out there. So that's how I started to do that. But the main reason for putting myself out there was to build my portfolio and what I mean by building my portfolio is even though I've done a lot of work, wedding commissions, window displays, those are work that only select few people have seen. My my clients, people who go by window display or event as opposed to the general public or in general, the art community. And the reason why a lot of artists want to show to other artists is because there's a lot of opportunities elsewhere other than on social media. What I mean by elsewhere is other people who actually collect art 
and are paying a lot to collect art, but also being able to collaborate with other artists or just embed myself in the local art community. Those people who can support me as an emerging artist, who can spread the word about my work, because if nobody sees it, if only one person sees your work, it's unlikely that they're going to reach as many people as 100, 200, 300 people come to shows who see your work. And a lot of people who do come to exhibits and shows, they are they might be experts in the art industry or they are prominent artists in the industry, curators, gallery owners, interior designers, other artists who know other people. And so really it's a networking opportunity for you as well in terms of meeting other artists and people who are interested in the same thing you are. And I had felt on social media that I had hit a ceiling of, in terms of pricing, in terms of the type of work that I wanted to show and share and make. And so one way to expand my target market, so to speak, is to expand in this realm where I'm trying to connect myself with more prominent people in the industry who can, like I said, spread the word about my work and also be able to find other people who might be interested in my work and whether it's buying it or working with me or whatever else. So one of the reasons why you would want to exhibit is to share your work, get sales, because you can also sell sometimes in these exhibits, and network. That's essentially why you would want to exhibit. Yeah. yeah. Networking is so incredibly important for any type of industry that you're in, because the more that you talk about your art, share about your art, the more recognitions and influx of people that you're going to get in. That's not your normal circle, because to get recognition, mm-hmm. you need to expand upon your circle and move outside and talk to other people that love your work, but might not be in the same industry. It's so incredibly important to grow it as an artist to get other perspective. And I love what you're doing, Jesse. It's just incredible. No, oh, thank you. I have to say it can be a bit intimidating. And to be honest, I think the early years of my work, I had no inclination at all to show my work because I was completely content with sharing it with the number of people who wanted my work. But I think at some point I wanted to create more. I think that's why I work that not necessarily people were giving me guidelines. I wanted to express myself more. And that kind of expression requires more than just listing it on your website, because it's really hard to reach people who might want to buy it. So working with local industry and just also finding mentors, I guess, people who are already in the industry, who have who are professional artists, who have that kind of experience, I think it's really important. I also think we've talked about imposter syndrome a lot as well. Yes. And it's as lovely as the social media is and meeting everyone online is, there's just so much noise out there that it's really easy to feel like an imposter. Like it's really easy to feel like you're in a sea of an ocean, really. You're in an ocean and you're like this tiny little person and you're just doing your thing, but it means nothing. But when you're actually meeting other artists and talking about art and you get to appreciate their art and they get to appreciate yours, you really realize what you're doing is special. There's no judgment involved. It really is your self-expression and it's okay. For once, I felt like I was an artist because people were talking about my art as art, as opposed to it being the colloquial paper flowers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That said, I think it depends on what type of shows you enter into. And you do have to be particular about the types of shows that you enter into, depending on what your goal is, ultimately, right? I was adamant that I wouldn't do craft shows because it has the word craft in it. I knew that I wouldn't be able to sell my work for hundreds of dollars. 
It's so hard. People don't go to craft shows to drop hundreds of dollars. So I was very careful about that. Although craft shows, they do have juried craft shows as well. So that's interesting too. I think that will lift it to another level, but not it's not often that they're called craft shows, but they do have that as well. What was your first show that you had entered and what was it that you actually made? I feel like one of the things that I would think is there's so many things that we do make and there's so many things that we had made in the past. How do you put one artwork out like and what is that one artwork going to be? Or like, how did you basically process for your first show? And when was it? <laughs> yeah, so I was really lucky. I was asked to be my first juried show by Tiffany Big Isaac. And at the time, she had a gallery called Freedom Factory Gallery. So she had a gallery and she would put on these juried shows and support local emerging artists in Toronto. And her show was really interesting because it, there would be, I think, six weeks of shows. Every week was a different 10 artists that she had curated whether she asked or maybe the person, uh, the artist had applied. So every week there'll be 10 artists and then there would be, there was a panel of 10 jurors as well. So I was lucky that she saw my work and it was in 2019. I had just written my book. So I actually had arrangements that I could use. I was like, I don't have anything, but I do have these sculptures. And so she was like, yeah, no, perfect. So generally with these jury shows, they would want you to submit an image of your work, whether it's 2D or 3D. And a lot of dread shows tend to only accept 2D work. It's probably just space. They don't have space for three-dimensional right. work in their gallery. So most of them are 2D, 2, 2Ds, but some of them will accept 3D. So Tiffany's did accept sculptural as well. So you take a photo and you send it off, whether in the, it might be in the application form or to them directly. Now, if it's a sculpture, you can take, usually they'll let you take and submit two to three pictures because it's three-dimensional, right? So it's not just from one angle. If it's two-dimensional, there's only one. And that's like a straight headshot, brightly lit, everything seen, generally no frames. So with this one, I submitted it. And then what happened was she curated the show. So that's the first selection process is usually there's a juror or curator who will select the pieces that actually go into the show. And then during the show, the jurors will select, you know, top three, top five pieces based on a certain criteria. And the criteria can be set by the jurors themselves. And usually it's set because it's based on maybe their experience. So a lot of jurors are artists themselves. So they could be any type of artist. And usually they're not all, let's say, photographers or all painters. There's usually a range of uh, mediums that they're uh, experts in. There might be other curators. There might be other gallery owners. There might be people just involved in the art industry. So it should be a range of backgrounds, which is good because then there's no not as much bias. Some of these jury shows also have a theme. So the one I was just in was called Perspective. There's other ones, Portraits. And so your work that you submit should relate to that theme in some way. And so jurors will also consider that too. Some jurors will be very literal in the interpretation of the theme and some won't. So it just depends. In the first one that I went to, there were there was no theme. So it's pretty open. Oh, the other thing I should say is curators or jurors, when they select your work, they may select it just based on quality or whether or it's suitable to the theme. And they might not select it, not because it's not quality, but because it doesn't fit with the other pieces. So it's I think it's important when you submit work to these jury shows that you don't take it personally because there's so many reasons why they didn't choose it. And it has often has nothing to do with the quality of it. It's just maybe all the other work is muted in colors and yours is too bright when it doesn't it's not suitable. Because if you think about it, at the end of the day, they want people to come see everything in a gallery in on walls 
and it should all look good together. It can't, it shouldn't look all out of place. You have to consider that as well. But yeah, so the first jury show I was invited to, I was very lucky. But at the end of the show, because it was, there were six weeks, we had a reception each week. So a reception is when an artist attends at a certain time and they're there to talk about their work with other people. It's a mixing mingle, I would say, or like a meet the artist. So usually it's 68. Sometime in the evening, there's usually cocktails or drinks, non-alcoholic usually, but sometimes alcoholic. And then that's when you get to talk to people. You might be also able to talk to the jurors at the time. So the people who are actually looking at your work. And sometimes they're interested in talking to you about your work. So it's really important to know how to talk about your work. And we can talk about that later in terms of what you would need in that. So you always have, there's generally always an artist reception for juried shows because usually that's when the awards are handed out. But for this particular one, the awards were handed out at the very end because every week was different. So that one, I was actually really lucky. I placed second. Yay. I placed second out of, Yay. I know out of 10 and there were like 60, 70 artists. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, like people are open to these paper flowers I'm making. And this is not just any art community. It's my local art community and my art community that has like all types of mediums, like not just traditional mediums, not just photography, but sculptural as well. So I think that was really affirming to me. I was very lucky that my first experience was so positive. But after that one, I didn't submit anything until three years later because I just didn't have time. I was just doing so much commission work. By that time, I had found a mentor and I was submitting myself to jury shows. And so usually those are call for art. You'll usually see call for art on art gallery websites or art organizations. The first thing I would suggest you do if you're interested is sign up for the newsletters for these art galleries that you're interested in showing in or ones that you're prestigious or once that cultural centers, like anything that any place that you want to support, to be honest, because it can't just be like, oh, I want to show there. It's really supporting the local artists in these organizations. But sign up for the newsletters because usually they will have call for art and submissions. And that's when they're asking for people to submit things. And so with juried shows, the difference between non-juried and juried is that there is a selection process for juried shows. Generally, nowadays, a lot of things can be done online. So you don't actually even have to live in the same city. You can live in a different city. A lot of the submissions are on a form. All you do is you upload an image of what you want to submit. Make sure there's a title. Make sure you've titled it. Make sure you indicate what medium it is. So whether it is uh, mixed media, it's sculptural, it's two-dimensional. I don't know. For me, I also submit two-dimensional pieces, my, my still lives, pigment on fine art paper or something that describes it. Because a lot of times the jurors will look at that and either know what you're talking about or be confused. So you want to be clear about that. You want to indicate whether you're selling it or not. So for some jury shows, you can indicate that you're not selling it. It's not for sale and that's okay. If you do indicate that it is for sale, some shows, depending on where they're located, if they're in a gallery or in they're in a public venue, they may or may not take a commission. So that will be in the description. So take a look at that too, because when you price your work, you want to consider that. Maybe normally you price your work at $500, but because this gallery is going to take 30%, you might want to bump it up a little bit, knowing that it's going to, they're going to take a lot of that cut too. They'll want to know that your piece was made within the last two or three years. So usually the criteria will indicate whether it's one years or two years or three years. And that's because they just don't want you to show old art. Mm -hmm. That's all. And, and that's okay too. Generally your art that's you've just recently made probably reflects your expertise and your style more accurately. So that's okay. You also need to know 
what the size of your submission is. So if it's three-dimensional, obviously you'll have height, width, and depth. If it's two-dimensional, it does include the frame if you framed anything. And then sometimes the jurors will ask for an artist statement. And I actually really prefer submissions that require me to submit an artist statement because it gives insight to the jurors about your work. Sometimes I feel like, yes, it's all subjective and you can interpret it whatever you, way you like, but at the same time, artists make things for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that backstory and the reasoning behind the work, I find fills in all those whys for the juror. And so your artist statement should indicate essentially not necessarily why you made it, but it should highlight perhaps what you, you know, what you're, uh, you were feeling when you were making it. If the process is important, then you can explain a little bit about the process. For example, when I explain my two-dimensional work, I do explain that it's sculptures that I photograph. And that extra explanation helps people understand why am I saying it's pigment on paper when it looks like a photograph, but it doesn't. It helps them understand a little bit better. Is there, you also can, sometimes, yes, yeah. So you're probably looking at about 200, 300. Oh, it's not very much. Sometimes, yeah, no. Sometimes they tell you it has to be within half a page or one page, maybe, double-spaced. Usually they'll tell you. But with your artist statement, it's a time for you to explain the whys behind it if you want to. I do find that it helps. Why you did this, what you hope to express through it. You don't necessarily tell them what you want them to see, but you want to tell them what you're hoping to express. And sometimes they will ask for a bio from you. So that's like your artist bio. It's also like 200, 300 word blurb explaining about your background. Sometimes I find it helps explaining why you're doing it. So why did you decide to use that medium? It really is an opportunity for you to tell your story. The big whys that we talk about in, in marketing, it does help them understand where you're coming from better. And jurors may or may not read the bio, but it definitely helps. And sometimes if you are selected, the bios will make it into um, either a online online bio website on the gallery or for the show or in, in a little a booklet at the show where people can read about the artist. And then once in a while, you might be asked to submit a CV. And usually those are for bigger jury shows, the more prestigious ones. You'll be asked to submit a CV, but the CV essentially is your curriculum, Vita, resume, your list of all accomplishments, your education, where else you've exhibited. When I was talking about building my portfolio, it's really building out my CV so that I have more I have more lines showing that I have exhibited in different places, whether they're jury, non-juried, group or not group. Speaking of group, jury shows are all grouped, obviously. <laughs> they're group shows with different artists <laughs> versus solo shows. But it matters the stuff in the CVs. You would want to indicate whether it's juried or non-juried and then group or solo, or if you've applied for any grants. So in order to apply for grants, uh, you actually need to exhibit. So that's another thing too, is if you want to spend a year just making art for yourself and you have this amazing project in mind, it could be also public. Let's say you're like, oh, I want to do a public project with the city or with my local art community. I want to bring all these people together, have this amazing idea. In order for you to get grants and get funding for them, because you don't want everything out of your pocket, you might not be able to pay for everything. You want it to be funded. Your CV actually has to show that you've exhibited your work. So you've shown your work as well. That's actually one of the main reasons for a lot of people who are exhibiting who maybe they're not that interested in solo exhibitions, but they want funding for other activities or other events, or maybe they want to curate a show as well. You need to have that kind of credibility. 
quote unquote, um, and your CV is supposed to show and share your credibility with the people who are giving out grants. And then the only other thing that's really important is knowing when to drop off your work if you are selected. Now, some jury shows, one of them that I've been in, they actually relied on in-person work. So what they did was we, they had us drop off artwork so that they could see in person and then make the selection of what work will be in the show and what won't, which I think is amazing because it's so different seeing it in person versus on a screen in yeah. an image, right? Especially for our sculptures. I think the impact is seeing it in person, three-dimensional. Like when you're taking photos of your sculpture, it's supposed to be a plain white, gray background. And then you've got your sculpture. It really doesn't give the same effect. Exactly. It doesn't communicate the same thing. So having it viewed in person is obviously ideal. So if that's the case, you also need to know when you're supposed to drop it off <laughs> and pick it up. Um, and usually that will be also in the application as well. Yeah. But yeah, once you're selected and it'd be amazing when you're selected, that's when you, yeah, that's when you find out when your artist reception is and figure out all the logistics behind it. But yeah, I would say having been in a couple of jury shows and having applied to numerous jury shows online and in person, really don't know what the jurors look for <laughs> other than quality. If everyone has the same quality, what do they look for? It's very subjective. Obviously, it's a theme. Does it relate to the theme? The stronger it relates, the better. Often, you've got works lying around and you're just hoping that it aligns with the theme that one of the jury shows is is offering. And usually you can have wide latitude and interpretation, which is great, but it does affect, I would say it does affect whether or not your work gets chosen for a, for an award. So the further away from that theme it is, the less inclined I think the jurors are to reward your work. Coincidentally, if it's like super aligned, that's great. I think you should, I think that's a sign that you should definitely submit your work. It doesn't hurt at all. The other thing is I'll submit work and it really depends on the jurors' backgrounds too. Some of them like certain types of work. Some of them understand certain types of work more than other, more than what you're doing. I think there's a lot of leeway in terms of, I, I would say there's a lot of um, ambiguity in terms of what will be successful, what your, whether your work will be submitted successfully and selected or not. And I wouldn't kick, I wouldn't kick myself if I get no's because it really is a numbers game. It really is very subjective. And the the worst that can happen is them saying no. So I'm always like, that's the worst that can happen. If they say yes, like fantastic. It doesn't hurt. The one other thing is there will be a fee that you have to pay for the jury shows. So usually you can, usually the criteria is they will let you choose up to one, two, maybe three pieces. I think some jury shows even up to five. There's a base price for the first piece and then additional fee for subsequent pieces. So it's really up to you how many pieces you want to submit. And obviously you want to submit only your best work. So I always, I have a budget in terms of, okay, how much money am I willing to spend on these applications? I think that you really do need to cap it to some extent because otherwise you go crazy. There's so many shows out there. You can apply to all of them, but you need to know that, okay, I only have X, X amount this year. How am I going to use it? And am I going to use it wisely or not? Because ultimately it all adds up. Mm -hmm. Most shows. Are you, are you working with a grant right now? Did no, you get? I'm not. Okay. I, so, yeah. so you are trying to get into exhibitions so that eventually you could apply for grants. Yeah. Okay. So when. And that will pay for applying or like things like that? or So with grants, you have to be very specific in terms of what you want it for. I see. For example, if you want to, you want to create a series of work, that's going to take you months. 
and your end goal is to have it like a solo exhibition or to have five pieces in a group exhibition, but with only three artists or a gallery. You're like, I want to get in there, but I need to do this. And then working backwards, you're like, I'm going to spend five months on it. If I'm going to work on it every day, this is what I'm going to pay myself. This is what I'm going to pay for my materials. This is what I'm going to pay for maybe hanging fees, renting the gallery, framing. Framing's really expensive if you're doing photography or even traveling fees. Like you're traveling somewhere. It's like to San Francisco, I got to fly there. I got to logistically get everything there and ship. Those things can go into a budget and then submit it for a grant. And so those are what grants would would be uh, given for. And in order to do that, yeah, they do look at your CV and Generally, it's a minimum of three exhibits. So you must have shown at least three times within the last, I think, two or three years. And then everything on top is like icing. But it is a good idea to have a variety of places that you've submitted and shown, not just one place. So the more you build that up, the more one grant people who who will give grants out, they will look at it and be like, okay, is this person serious about organizing this humongous event of their work? Um, They're traveling all the way to San Francisco, wherever, uh, or usually it's not international, usually it's local, (laughs) but traveling to within Canada, let's say to Vancouver. Is this person taking their work seriously? Are they really seriously going to be successful? Have they shown they've been able to meet timelines and participate in these big shows? And are they serious because they've devoted so much time, whether it's showing the work or teaching? So teaching is a big component too, showing that you're in the art community, that you care about your art. Teaching, selling your work. So selling is also something they might look at in your CV. Have you sold any of your work? Have you tried? If you haven't sold anything, then obviously it's going to say that you're maybe on a, what do you call it, earlier journey than some other artists who have sold a ton of their work, right? So seeing all that is really important um, in for uh, a grantee to determine or grantor to determine whether or not you're worth investing all the funds. And also if you're looking at, let's say galleries, so you want to be in a gallery or you want gallery representation. So a lot of people, ultimately you do what you're shooting for after building up your portfolio and showing your work is networking with the right people who can sell your work. So it could be people who can introduce you to other people like a mentor or even other gallery owners or gallery owners that want to represent you. So these are people like quote unquote agents. There are eight art agents as well, but art agents, gallery owners, essentially people who can sell your work. They will take a commission, but they get your work in front of people who are willing to pay, who are the right people for your work. So they're not just going to show your work to all of their clients. They're going to show your work to specific ones that they know will love your work. And if they're credible, you're credible, right? So for them, they also want to see your CV. They want to see that you've shown in how many galleries, which galleries, right? If you've shown in a prestigious gallery or prestigious show, they that builds credibility. So they will believe in your work more. So it's, if you are applying for a job, your CV is going to provide you with the credibility you need to be hired for this job or to be taken on by an agent or a gallery owner. So that's why it, there's, if you are deciding that you want other people to sell your work, in addition to you yourself selling your work, you do have to build that credibility out. And the only way to do that is by these traditional ways of showing your work because that's what the art community kind of relies on in knowing, will your work sell? If you haven't done anything, you haven't sold anything, they're going to hesitate, right? So in a way, it's for me personally, like I said, it's my way of branching out to other markets and to be able to get my art to the right people through other people, as opposed to just sharing on social media and not really knowing first, I can't really direct who I'm going to talk to someone. Yeah, you can tag, you can do all that stuff, but they're still trying to look for you. 
So in this way, I'm trying to find people who already know other people for them to show my work to people they know will like. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why you might show at a at an exhibit. How do you go about finding a mentor to show you the ropes and to navigate this scenario? For me personally, because I didn't go to art school, I believe if you did go to art school, there's your network's going to be a lot larger than mine. Hopefully you've stayed in contact with some of your professors or other artists who or other colleagues, you know, students that you went to to college with, because some of them might be curators now. Some of them, not everyone with a fine arts degree is going to be an artist. A lot of them can be curators, gallery owners, or have some sort of connection. For myself, I took a course in professional development that was offered through my local art center. And the teacher is a my mentor now, but she's also a photographer. So she's an artist as well. And then I started teaching at the art center and I got to know other artists and other people who are part of the organization, whether they're in development or they're the, ex- the person who helps with the exhibits. And there are events that you can attend through other organizations, like there's a women's association in Toronto that you can attend to network with other people. And then after what, our community is really small. Yes. After a while, <laughs> you start exhibiting, you see some of the same people, you see some of the same curators coming out as well. And you just build your own little pool of people that love your work. And I think it's really important that your mentor understands and loves your work and believes in you. And I think I was, I'm very lucky to have met the people I have met. Even in my class, I met a couple of people and we still periodically hang out, talk about art, share what we know about different shows, about techniques and et cetera, et cetera. Having that kind of, I think, a network of people who can support you and believe in your work, I think is really motivating and encouraging. But I think the first step, though, is you have to put yourself out there. You have to show up to other people's shows. Show up at other people's shows, even if you don't have your own show. Nothing, maybe you're not exhibiting. Show up at a local show. Show up for their reception, their artist reception. Meet the artist. Meet the other people who are talking about the art. You stand around. You literally stand around and talk about art. But you'll be surprised because you might find somebody who has, you can connect with on the same wavelengths. And you might be using different mediums, but they might know somebody or they might might be able to give you advice on different things. And I think people are generally really willing to share what they know because we've all been there, right? We've all been lost. Like we just show up because we love art and, but I don't know what I'm doing. There's, I think there are people who just are dying to tell you your art is wonderful. And here, let me guide you. This is what you should do. So showing your face. One example is the jury show that I was just in, in Oakville. I had never, I had paid for the membership so that I could get certain newsletters from them and just I wanted to support Oakville. Oakville, Oakville is um, a town just right beside me. And when I got into the jury show, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Who cares? It's close by. I think <laughs> the theme's pretty close. I have art already. I'm just going to submit work, my work. Great. I was chosen. I was selected. And then they asked for volunteers. They asked for volunteers to sit the show to hang the show, to return works that were not selected. So I was like, you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to show my face so that I could be working alongside the organizers of this show because I had never met them. But I knew that these organizers are people that I can talk to so that I can teach there or I can just essentially talk to other people who know other people or people who just love art in general and introduce them to paper art, mixed media art, what's possible. And so I ended up, yeah, showing up for a couple hours. I learned how to hang two-dimensional art. I had never done hanging before at a gallery. And I met two wonderful people who were just so supportive of emerging artists. They are artists themselves. And I talked, I also talked to another volunteer who is an artist and teacher. And we talked about art. We talked about where, where I 
could potentially show. And this wasn't even me bringing it up. It literally was just through the conversation. People just want to support you. So they started talking about, I think you should apply to these galleries and et cetera. And they're like, you know what? I think that our development person would love to have you teach. And it's just being there and showing your face and showing that, you know what? This art exists. It's possible to make this type of art. It's possible to share it. And people will like literally open their arms to you. But it does require you to show up. And just not be afraid of showing your face. I didn't go there with that much expectation. I knew I was going to make friends for sure. No doubt about it. But I didn't expect to come out of there feeling, yeah, I can do this with ideas. That's the best feeling. um, (laughs) Complete confidence in my work. It is the best feeling. And I think that's what sometimes we're missing on social media is that personal touch. Is that person looking at it with you, literally looking at your art with you and saying, I love how that flower faces this way and the moon and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's so, different than what it's like on social media. So can I share a story? It's showing your face. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I got invited by Sarah Simon, the mint gardener on social media, and she lives in Seattle area. And she actually commissioned me to make some paper flowers pieces for her watercolor retreat. And it was actually two different retreats um, back to back. And it was so much fun. She invited me for their after party after their three day retreat. And I actually got to talk to the student and they used my paper flowers as model for their watercolor illustration. It was so fascinating to see how they interpreted what I made. And I knew it's going to be for watercolor students. I specifically use watercolor to color my paper flowers. And it was just so great to see how they took my piece of art and colored it and drew it and see their interpretation. And it was just so amazing to see 30 people take your art and talk to you about it. And they were really amazed about the different details and how they decided to take some of the details or some not the details and add it to their drawing. It was just really incredible and so like exciting to actually talk to other people to see how your art looked in their eyes. It's the most magical thing. Yeah. And it was such a great collaboration. I just never thought to collaborate with Sarah in that way before. And to do it, I was like, I want to do this again. And it really made Mm -hmm. me kind of step outside of my box a little bit and just say, how can I up my paper flowers just a little bit more? Because I knew it's going to go to other artists because it puts a little bit of pressure on you to like, I can make this better. How can I make this better with this particular medium? And it's so much fun. And I want to sh- uh, shine the light a little bit on Sarah because one of the things in my beginning relationship with Sarah was she actually invited me to her own personal art gallery where she showcased her work. Sarah, can you talk a little bit about why you did it and how you did it? Because it was just so amazing to see your kind of your life, the several past year work in this one particular gown that you actually hosted yourself. I was confused because Mink Gardner was also Sarah, right? Yes. I was like, oh, she had an art gallery. Um, (laughs) No, like my event was just a little celebration and it was just my chance to showcase my work. And talking about the whole showcasing work and talking about our work with real people, not on the internet, I think it's, yeah, it's really fun. It's definitely different. And it wasn't like supposed to be really fancy or anything, but I wanted it. It was like my chance to perform form as an artist. And if you guys don't know, my background's actually in violin performance major. So I have a thing definitely being in the spotlight in a sense. (laughs) 
and, and definitely not talking. Like <laughs> I'm behind my art, I'm behind my violin, but it was supposed to be a 10-year business anniversary event. But then that happened during the pandemic. And then I like delayed it. And then by 12 years, we felt like it was safe enough to throw the event. And it's funny because today is actually my 13th year in business. Yay. So we celebrated that 12 years last year. And that's why I invited Quinn to come down to my little, I don't know, business birthday party in a sense. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely much more magical when you can see it in person and mm-hmm. and especially with people that like also understands what you do. Mm-hmm. It's not just, of course, I always ask my husband, like, doesn't this look great? And he's going to say yes. Like, how could he not? <laughs> but when I, when I'm there with you guys or with like people that are also into art or being a creative, like it it means like so much more. And you're always self-doubting yourself when you're just sitting at home by yourself, like doing the work every day. But like when you're with people, it's definitely much more encouraging. And I challenge myself to make it look the best because mm-hmm. it's performing. So it's like Jesse, right? I'm sure there's so much pressure on you. That's why I'm asking you about your first ever event because like how what do you even how do you decide on the one in a sense but I guess ultimately I also wanted to ask like how does your day-to-day look like now as an artist that shows in art shows rather than do you I'm sure you still take commission work Mm -hmm. but are you like how do you it's like a an author it's like a performer right like you have to like you still have to work in between. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta bring in the yeah. money. How do, you like, yes. how do you organize it to be like that one thing at the end? No, it's, yeah, it's like an author. I always think like when you're a writer, you have to write all these things. But how do you like narrow it down to a book, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I feel sure. like it relates to what Quinn is doing what, and with Jesse. Yeah. Yeah. How does your day-to-day look like in a sense with work? Yes. No, that's a good question because that's... <laughs> That was a question I asked myself as well a couple of months ago when I was going through coaching because I was like, I can't like with no deadlines, it's really hard to be productive. But with too many deadlines, I can't deal with it because these literally like these call for arts like pop up and you've got 30 days to submit and you're like, wait, what can I do in 30 days that how time consuming our work can be. And we have other things on the go. So I do still take commissions, uh, not as much, definitely more manageable. And I still teach. I fit my teaching in somehow. But my day to day that I'm, my ideal day is working on art that I would exhibit within a series. A lot of artists work in series. So whether it's 10 pieces or five pieces or whatever your series is. And that's usually why people apply for grants, because they know that during the time of creating that series, they might they will be devoting a lot of times on the series as opposed to making money in other ways. Right now, because I still have other forms of income, I haven't applied for a grant, but grants also are available at certain times of the year. So they're not, they're, it's not ongoing. There are certain times of the years where uh, certain grants offered by either certain uh, municipality or through the province or other organizations are available. So the first thing that I learned to do from my mentor was to, as was to take down notes on when grant dates deadlines are and like put them down. And also as I was going, find out and determine when the deadlines were for jury shows I was interested in. So like, like I said, if you sign up for newsletters of places, galleries that you're interested in, you'll know, be notified of when that is. So you have to like, it's an ongoing basis where you're tracking so that you know that next year you'll be ready for those really important shows mm-hmm. or grants deadlines because you know what the days are. So right now I'm on a, I'm still building up that list. I'm still building up that list of dates that I need to work by. Um, 
before I do that, I'm still like literally planning and working on my series. So I know there's a grant deadline next week and I am applying for one of the grants. Hopefully I'll get it. I don't know. Good luck. Thanks. Doesn't mean I can't, I, I can't work because technically the grant money literally goes into your series, right? And paying you on a daily basis for the work that you've put in. But as like our work doesn't stop just because we're preparing for an exhibit, right? We still have people who want to learn from us. There's still people who want to buy our art. So it's like now I'm trying to prioritize my series and then fitting things around it. As opposed to before, it was like, how am I going to fit my series into my commission work and into teaching? So it's like changing up that priority. But yeah, like every week I plan out my chunks of time of when I'm doing my just exhibit work and nothing else. And I've found that helps me stay on track and and break down things. Like every month I'm going to have XYZ done. And then by this week, I'm going to shoot or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you really, yeah, it's you really got to keep it up on, uh, keep yourself accountable because it's really easy to just slide off and half a year goes by and you're like, wow, I have nothing. You know? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. are you making something new every time you apply or are you taking stuff that you are making throughout the year that you are waiting for your deadlines in a sense? Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm definitely reusing things. So the okay. last couple of jury shows, I've resubmitted the same thing that I made back okay. in the spring because as long as it falls within that two or three years and it's not, you haven't shown that work at that jury show, it's new to them. And so that's completely okay. So that's good. So you can, what can I say? Have a bunch of work on the Collecting side. Collecting yourself. Collecting, yeah. exactly, and show it. Also making new things every time. Yeah, I'm one of those people who like to make new things. I feel like if yeah. I've done it already, I've already done it. I move on. And so for me, I know that usually is about a year's time. So I'll use whatever I have within that year. But I know once that year passes, I'll be like, that's old stuff. Yeah. I, I feel I the same way. Stuff now. <laughs> so I'm always, me too. Yeah, right? It's, I don't know. It's just something even like if I'm moved on. Even if I'm giving it as a birthday gift to my friend or my mom even, yeah, I'd, I want to make the current version of right? what I think looks good. Because even a month ago, I'm like, oh, that's how I made yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> We're always improving, right? Yeah. Whether it's our technique yeah. or even our vision. What do we want to say? It's It changes, right? So the difficult thing with what we do, paper sculptures, is that it's very time consuming. And so it takes weeks to make an arrangement that I'm happy with to show, which is different from which I'm happy with to give away. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. it's just a different mentality. Yeah. For me, it, it does take a long time to do that. And so I do want to max out as much as I can with what I've made, which is one of the reasons why I did turn to photography because one, I felt that I could tell more with photography, but two, it's also me dipping my hand both in sculpture and in a two-dimensional form. And so because a lot of ex a lot of shows only accept two-dimensional art, this is another way for me to share my story is through photography. If I was waiting for a jury show that would allow me to submit three-dimensional work, it would be, they're more sparse in terms of the uh, opportunities for me to submit them. Coincidentally, I also love the photography part, so that's great. But if you were just doing sculpture, yeah, you probably, it would be, you would have to wait. You would have to wait around. You'll have time, but you definitely would have to expand your net a lot wider. Not to talk, not not even to talk about the logistics of getting a three-dimensional piece to a gallery without it falling apart and having it placed on a pedestal that is the correct height, that is ideal, that is telling the right story. It is more difficult. Not that I'm saying you shouldn't do it because I do it as well. But 
I my hope is that one day I'll be able to do an exhibit where I'm showing both at the same time, but it's a continuous story. And so a lot of the work that I have that right now, I've the ones that I made just to exhibit for myself, I'm keeping. I'm not selling it. I'm keeping it because we can rearrange it and tell a different story with it, right? But that's the fun thing is that we can make it new. It's just finding ways that are creative, that also align with the story I want to tell to make something new that I can also exhibit. And that I think is the beauty of photography, right? Is that we can curate our own images using what we have and we can repeat it or not repeat it. Or I'm thinking about doing some things to make existing flowers to make like they're dead because ironically or coincidentally they, they are, yes. right? There's a lot of ways to, yeah, to do that. Oh, I should say there might be a performance piece I'm, I, I'm doing. And you were talking about performance, Sarah, but just mm-hmm. something else to think about for everyone who's listening is that our art doesn't, we can also exhibit it as a performance where we're building it up. When you're building it up date by date, that's a performance piece. It's not just a sculpture. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's also another way to see our work too, is through a time phase. But I think that it wasn't until I was in this, <laughs> until I was like talking to other people actually, that I'm like, wow, yeah, there are so many other things that we can do with our art. And they saw it in a way that was new. They saw it in a way that included their experiences in what they do with their medium. And I think it really helped shape in terms of shaping me and uh, shaping my own perspective, my personal perspective of what we're doing and not be so stuck in that box of what I think it is. When you know something too well, you have a perceived idea, mm-hmm. right? You can't really think outside of it. But when other when you talk to other artists, I think that's where that sharing of knowledge and information comes in and just a different perspective of your art. I think it really elevates what you can do. It brings your creativity to another level. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I know. Ugh. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we have, but I'm going to end it because we've been like almost to the hour and I want to ask you guys, what's your favorite stack? Should I go first? Sure. Yes. Right now, I actually have a bag of kettle salt and vinegar potato chips Yum. and their kettle brand is probably not my favorite salt and vinegar chips, but it's definitely salt and vinegar is the type of potato chips that I do. And I actually had a favorite, but it like I think it got discontinued and it used to be a brand called late July and they make tortilla chips, but they had made salt and vinegar potato chips at one time and I can't find them anymore. So I resorted to my kettle salt and vinegar chips. (laughs) It's still yummy. I love myself a salt and vinegar. And I actually just looked up some recipes and I want to try to make it myself because the reason why it's not my favorite, the kettle chips, is because I want it to be more vinegary. So that's my courage. (laughs) Yum. (laughs) <laughs> You're so How about you, Jesse? I think the older I get, that's my thing. Yeah. So. How about you, Jesse? Like stronger, stronger taste. <laughs> what have... I've been avoiding snacks, but um, the other day, my son wanted to buy Kit Kats. Like, they were on sale, but they're like the Japanese ones, Kit Kats. Oh, with yes. Strawberry. It was a strawberry and cream one. And the strawberry is just so, like... So good. It's so intense. <laughs> it's just so intense. And I think it has... I taste it and I'm like, I think there's... they all, Maybe add a little bit of salt to it, but something that brings out that sweetness in that strawberry. So that has been my guilty pleasure. I really need to stop. Like, <laughs> I can't have one every day. <laughs> and aren't those like the small size? Yes, so you the could small be ones. eating the whole bag. Yeah. Uh, and I actually 
really good love too. all the Japanese flavors, like the green tea right? one. I think there's like a handful of different ones and I like all of them. Yeah, they're yeah. so good. Yeah, it's like a, a flavor explosion in your mouth. Like they're mm-hmm. just so intense in the taste. Oh, mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, so good. What about, about you, Quinn? So my favorite right now is actually a drink. I've been loving making the London Fog tea for my afternoon mm. drink. Pick me up. And mm. it's just so fragrant and I use oat milk to milk up my tea, but it's so good. What's um, your favorite oat milk? Uh, right now, brand. Silk from Costco because it's inexpensive okay. and it's actually really smooth and delicious. Yeah. You know yeah. the Oatly oat milk? Yes. They sell it at the bargain market. So it's like really cheap. Oh, that's a really and good like one And like my too. husband had bought like 10 of them. And they're not going to get expired anytime soon either because we checked. We were like, oh, is it because it's going to get expired? But it's yeah. actually like. It would give us like a whole year or something like that. So we had wow, bought this like amazing. a whole store out. <laughs> so you should check it out. I will. Thank you. It was so good to see you, Jesse, and catch up. And so excited for where the direction that you're taking with your business. It's so fascinating and just beautiful to see your art in so many different ways. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me and letting me talk. Yes, <laughs> you talked for most of the hour. But hopefully, yeah, I know. I miss you guys too. As Gim and Sarah asked me what my schedule is, it really is like me trying to prioritize that art part. And I think once I get used to the schedule, it might be easier to deviate a little bit. But right now, it's very intentional, trying to focus on just making art and also believing that something will result from it. I think that's one of the hardest parts because you make and if you it's aimless, you're never confident if it's going to bring you or take you anywhere. But yeah, these I'm telling you, if, if anybody's listening to this and you're curious about exhibitions, like just go for it. You are going to be amazed at how I want to say how enthusiastic people will be when they see your art. I absolutely think that there's many people out there who want to see it succeed and are just grateful that you're showing and sharing your art with them because they've never seen it before and they would think it's amazing. Thank you for being such an advocate for paper flowers. Yeah. Uh, No, you likewise. (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody. See you next time. Bye.